TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as always, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I know this isn't the sort of thing that we usually talk about here on the podcast, and I don't want to embarrass you or anything. But I heard that you learned several new conjugations since our last show. Well, Chris, uh, as we record, I did, you know, it's, uh, it's St. Patrick's Day. So, well, you know, there's, there's plenty of celebrating going on. And I have absolutely learned a few new conjugations, uh, for today. Well, if it's related to St. Patrick, I guess those must involve some green things as well. Yes. Yes. And lucky I learned them. <laughs> Well, we are going to talk about someone else who learned several new conjugations in the episode Two Days and Two Nights as we continue our 20th anniversary rewatch. And that person would, of course, be Hoshi. Before we jump into that, here's a quick rundown of the episode. After several detours, the NX-01 reaches its relaxation destination, Ryza. Plans for two days and two nights in paradise take an unexpected turn for everyone involved, including Porthos. Hoshi learns Ryzen in a day and several conjugations in one of the most challenging languages she's ever encountered. Tripp and Malcolm find out the hard way that flirting can be dangerous, Travis tumbles down a rock face, and Archer is once again confronted with the mysteries of the Sulabine. Meanwhile, aboard the ship... Flocks hibernates. So, Matthew, it's been a long time coming. We've been headed to Ryza for several episodes. We finally have arrived. And what do you think about having Ryza in the prequel series? Uh, you know, it's it's interesting that they would use this because it's something that we obviously didn't see in the original series at all and we didn't know anything about really until uh, TNG and then of course you know it's brought back in Deep Space Nine but at the same time I don't necessarily have a, a a huge problem with it and and I think one of the things that this whole episode does and, and the lead up to it has been the idea that you know the crew has been out there for a while now and having time off is definitely important in fact just in all honesty, as we're recording this, I, I will be off of work on uh, the next day and then on Monday because I've been going, going, going so much that um, it's definitely been affecting everything, with, with, with my sleep or anything like that. It's it just, it's been not great. And so I totally understand the, the idea that the crew needs some rest and relaxation and time away and you know, a lack of like anything going crazy where they can just kind of put their mind to re rest, have some good food, enjoy um, some time away, enjoy some vitamin D. I mean, all of that stuff is so important. And, and so I think this episode could be just something we look at as being very, very frivolous. But in some ways, just from my own experience recently, I was just 
thinking about how important it is to take care of oneself when it comes to the idea of making sure you're not working yourself to death. And you become less productive when you do that, right? You right. become irritable. Your health uh, can suffer. You can, you can get sick more easily. All of those things. So, you know, I really, as silly as this episode can be sometimes, I really appreciate the, the thought that, one, to Paul is taking care of the captain here, and Archer is taking care of his crew by allowing them to have time away and to relax. And so I, I think... This is um, obviously an interesting episode and a silly episode sometimes, but I think there's there's actually more to it than that. So, Chris, you know, how do you feel about the idea of introducing Ryza into Enterprise? Well, first of all, after listening to you talk there, I think this episode should have been titled Vitamin D. yes that would have been funny (laughs) Uh, i liked it i remember when it first aired and i thought oh this is fun we're gonna go to ryza and one reason i liked it is that as fans we already know about ryza it's established in the next generation comes up again on deep space nine we know about the planet and of course the planet would have been around for a long time And so the fact that it's out there waiting for our crew to explore made perfect sense to me. And T'Pol would have known about it because, of course, the Vulcans would have been aware of Ryza. So I think it was a really good choice to use. Interestingly, the writers considered using the amusement planet from Shore Leave initially or Wrigley's Pleasure Planet, which Darnell mentions at the beginning of The Man Trap. And those, I can see them going there creatively as they're brainstorming because it is a prequel series and it might tie in more to TOS. But like the amusement planet, that was the first time that Starfleet had encountered it, humans had encountered it. And then Wrigley's pleasure planet was just kind of mentioned in passing. So I think Ryza was the right choice. And it's one of those cases where I think that the prequel series can be used to add texture to the wider Star Trek universe in a way that makes sense and feels pretty natural to fans. And the, the Ryza episodes were always fun. And there was a bit of an adventure, particularly Captain's Holiday. You think about what happened to Picard and the whole mystery he had to solve there. So you kind of have this idea that strange things happen on Ryza. And they wanted to give Archer some kind of situation with some intrigue to go along with relaxation. And so it mirrors what happened to Picard. And therefore, again, I think Ryza was a nice choice. Yeah, and I mean... Again, too, I think the idea that these type of places would exist, I mean, in many ways, especially the rise that we see here really feels like, you know, intergalactic Florida. Um, You know, (laughs) it's it's uh, it's basically uh, Orlando and Miami all thrown together into a blender. And it can be, you know, the, the interesting thing about Ryza is that it gives you the opportunity to do lots of different types of stories in the sense that. For the guys, it feels like it's basically 
uh, spring break at, <laughs> right. at, at one of the Florida beaches. Um, or, uh, you know, for Archer, it feels more like just a, a hopefully, you know, tropical, relaxing vacation. Or, you know, for Hoshi, it, it's more of like a personal time of like uh, hopeful rest, but, you know, also the opportunity to kind of spread her wings linguistically you know, as yeah, well. Yeah. So I think that's the thing that, that really, to me, was interesting and made sense about going there and it just the fact that this would be a place that existed in the universe that somebody would either you would be a small race and you would decide you know we have a wonderful planet and we can open it up and it'll be great for commerce and 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 everything and or it's a planet that you specifically turn into this, you know, it, mm-hmm. nobody's really there, whatever. And, and you kind of turn it into this place for people to be able to come. And it's known galaxy wide as just a great place to relax. And so I think it fits in well enough with with Enterprise. And like you said, this episode, even with its silly parts, the, the in, in the end, the main thrust of this is really about what we're uh, having happened with the Sulabon. Right. And that has been continuing yeah. to build more and more through the end of the season. Yeah. And getting us ready for what's going to happen in the finale. So. Right. Right. You know, I'm from Alabama and I'm just picturing Trip and Malcolm. It's like two of my friends heading down to Panama City or Daytona Beach, like you said, for spring break. <laughs> That's the image mm-hmm. that I have. Yep. Yep. You bring up the Archer thing, and it is interesting that. When I think about this episode, of course, I think about fun, but I also think about this is that moment when we unexpectedly advance the Temporal Cold War story in an interesting way. And it is unexpected because originally the concept of this episode wasn't about that. It was a shore leave episode. And as I mentioned earlier, just giving Captain Archer some kind of intrigue, some kind of situation that would happen while he's getting some R&R. And they came up with the idea of Kayla as this mysterious woman. But then after that, her character evolved into this Tandaran agent and the whole Suleban element was thrown in. So it's a case where the story taking time to evolve during the writing process turns into something that I think is a lot more meaningful than what we would have gotten originally. Well, and I mean, you take that and then on the other side, the rest of this is just fun ways to kind of explore little character moments or or character beats. And so, you know, I I especially think of the story for the doctor, you know, Mm -hmm. we learn a really interesting thing about the Minobians is that, you know, we know they don't sleep very much, but one time a year, you know, they're, they've got to sleep and, course of that turns into trouble for us because we don't have our doctor and so you know that's just one of those fun little nuggets that we get in in an episode that can seem silly sometimes at the same time sadly this is the last appearance of kelly waymeyer mm-hmm. uh, as as crewman cutler which you know i realized when she showed up again i was like oh we haven't seen her in a while and i was disappointed that they had not made a point to add her in more throughout the yeah. season. Yeah. And and obviously that's in retrospect because I think they had plans of her becoming more a part of the crew in season 2 and then of mm-hmm. course her untimely death shattered that and and so 
you know, that's one of those things when I watch this episode, I think there's so much more to it for me because of that yeah. moment and and knowing that this will be the last time we see her. And in all honesty, she was absolutely a character that I adored and loved. Yep. And so it was very sad that, um, you know, this will be her last appearance. And it's a fun appearance, but it, it's disappointing that we, we don't actually get to, to have more of that character because she had such an incredibly interesting arc mm-hmm. going. Yeah, same for me. People who have listened to the network for years and years know that I love Leffler from The Next Generation. And Cutler is my Leffler of Enterprise. And I wish she had been on more and yeah, here realizing that this is the last of her three appearances on Enterprise was very sad and also surprising to remember that it's only three because I feel like she's there more than that. And she certainly mm-hmm. should have been. She had good roles in Strange New World and especially in Dear Doctor. As for the flock story, why don't we talk about that a little bit since we're already on that topic? That story, I could see it going two ways, not in this episode, but where the doctor's character is concerned and Mm -hmm. the way in which some of these things are handled on Enterprise in terms of the writing. It could have been sort of a a darker story about how Denobulans need to hibernate and what happens if they're not able to hibernate properly. Or you could have this comedic one. And we ended up with the comedic path for it. And I love John Billingsley as an actor. I think Phlox is one of the best portrayed characters in Star Trek because Billingsley is so natural in the role. Reminds me a bit, a little bit of, of Colm Meany playing O'Brien. I always feel mm-hmm. like yep. Colm yep. is so natural in his delivery of things. And I have the same feeling about Billingsley when it comes to Phlox. In this one, felt a little bit over the top for me at times. And I think part of that is that I think Billingsley is a lot better at playing that calmer counselor type role compared with comedy and physical comedy. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that I really loved this part of this story, although I like getting that background information about an alien race. I think that it allowed... Travis and Cutler and T'Pol to shine a little bit more, maybe because they're in a situation where they're keeping things, especially Cutler's keeping things under control, whereas normally the doctor would definitely be the one doing that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's a great point in the sense that because Phlox is unable to kind of be his calm self, this absolutely, I think, you know, and I think maybe that's one of the thoughts they had in writing this is that you mm-hmm. are giving Kelly Waymeyer's character more to do here with Cutler and kind of maybe that's the push actually is that we're kind of reintroducing her and like we're going to then have that be transplanted in the season two so that we can have her even more. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I really do love the the joy of <laughs> having to Paul try to deal with flocks like this is mm-hmm. actually pretty funny. I think that's the funnier part of this episode is is her like, oh my gosh, what have I got myself into <laughs> right. kind of faces. And I think what it does add an interesting aspect is that Travis comes home 
to the Enterprise because he wants to be with his own doctor, and yet now his doctor is basically almost high, it seems like. Right. Uh, and so he's like, I, I actually think the episode, it might have done itself a favor if it had possibly focused slightly more on Travis's story here and his kind of like discomfort and and all of that more so than the the over the top comedy that we're getting with flocks because i do agree with you it is a little bit overdone mm-hmm. and it, it but at the same time it it kind of shows just how great a, a john billingsley has such range yeah and he is very good at physical comedy that is for sure mm-hmm. there was also a nice it's very subtle and it's very quick but Another comment on the human-centric nature of Star Trek and how we see things. We talked about it last time when we talked about Desert Crossing and Hoshi kind of speaking up in this sense, you know, asking to Paul about, you know, why did you go to Bozeman, Montana, and so forth. And everything is centered on the human view. And here, Travis asks to Paul, have you ever been to an alien hospital? And to Paul instantly says, yes, in San Francisco. Like, duh, I'm a Vulcan. I lived on Earth. Of course, I've been to an alien hospital. But but Travis doesn't think of it that way because he can't because mm-hmm. he's human. And he, yep. he's, he can't flip it around and remember that for to Paul, Earth is an alien world. And it's just that one passing comment. But I do like that they do sprinkle those into the writing. I 100% agree with you. I think that was actually one of the best little moments of the episode because I think it does put into perspective, you know, especially for Travis, that thought of like, oh, yeah, that's right. To Paul isn't one of us. And I think in many ways you can read that two ways, right? I think he's become so comfortable with to Paul. Mm-hmm. He doesn't necessarily see her yeah, as that's a good point, you know, yeah. uh, Vulcan anymore because she's a part of the crew. Right. And in some ways, I think that's a good thing. But then to be reminded that, yes, she isn't human. And for her, everything human is alien mm-hmm. is a fantastic reminder just to and, and not in a way of like, oh, we have to always remember that to Paul is different. No, it's just that that's her experience. So I think there's a lot of like little nuance in there. And that that's kind of the thing I almost wish we had just dug into a little bit more in the episode because yeah. I think there's something really interesting there. Like you said, it it's we had that moment with Hoshi and then um you know just a couple weeks ago and and now we have this little moment here mm-hmm. with Travis and they are these just little teachable moments and 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 uh, little things that help Enterprise remind us that this is a prequel. And these characters are coming from very different places. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I well, I love that. I mean, your comment about Travis being comfortable with her is a great one because I sometimes have to make myself remember. And then sometimes I kind of look at the news, for example, with a puzzled face because for me, I've lived almost all my adult life in Japan. And here, you know, when you're an expat, and you live in a city like Tokyo, you are always with people from many countries, people from all over the world. You know, the companies that I have worked in, who I work with now, 
dozens and dozens of nationalities. We all work together and we're also all expats. So we're all in a similar situation. And when you're like that, you start to not see people anymore as being from this country or that country or this race or that race or this sexual orientation or that gender or whatever. All that stuff kind of melts away and you're just a group of people together with a shared experience. And so that's how I see the world. I really don't think about people's nationality, race, color, gender, sexual orientation, things like that. It's not a factor to me. You're just a person who I know and who I'm friends Mm -hmm. with, who I work with and all. And the reason I say I sometimes look with a puzzled face when I'm reading news and all is that around the world, especially in some cultures, and the U.S. is one of those, so much focus is placed on defining people and putting people into these categories Mm -hmm. that I think it creates a barrier to us being able to advance as a society and reach the Star Trek future that we all watch and aspire to. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, that is a great point that in this episode, the fact that Travis doesn't stop and realize the absurdity of what he's asking to pull is that he's used to her. She's to pull to him at this point. She's not that Falcon who's on the ship with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Chris, and I, I couldn't agree more, you know, with, with what you said, and, and because, too, I think, and I can't put people in just little neat boxes because, you know, regardless of if they are something, um, a Vulcan or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, like, none of those things are, are what truly define them beyond, like, who they are, what they've experienced, you know, all the things that make you, you and not somebody else. And so I think that's one of the things too, is that we are kind of seeing in, in enterprise, which is the way out of, you know, kind of a, a more, um, specious type of thinking or a prejudice is to actively get to know people as people. Right. And yeah. that's exactly what's been happening with DePaul and the crew of the Enterprise and with it too, with Flocks, right? And the crew of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. both of them are 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 living examples of of that. And so yeah. 100% and, and, agree with you. And I think it's interesting to see in the earlier episodes how the human crew approaches the two aliens on the ship because I think that for them Flocks is much more approachable than to pull, not only because of his demeanor, but because Denobulans don't have the baggage that Vulcans have in the human mind. They haven't had that same relationship where humans feel like they're being held back. So the animosity is not there. It's more just an interest directed at the mm-hmm. Denobulans. Well, let's move on to some other elements of the story and talk about two of the fun ones. And I think it might be good if we talk about them together. Hoshi's story, and then the one with Travis and Malcolm. And on the outline, I named this section Language Lovers to talk about Hoshi because sometimes I feel like this is almost a Hoshi story because she gets so much screen time in this episode. And Enterprise delves realistically into language, except for the speed 
at which Hoshi learns Ryzen. I don't think that anyone can learn a language out of the blue that quickly in one day, uh, maybe a bit, not to the fluency that she's using here. But I love the fact, again, that they actually took the time to create dialogue in the Ryzen language. And I think that all three of the actors who speak Ryzen in this episode did an amazing job of remembering this. And it flows quite well. And the other thing that I love that will contrast here is that Hoshi in the shuttle craft coming down to the planet, she's jabbing Trip and Malcolm about their plans to go down and hook up with some aliens. And she says, oh, is that all you think about? And then it turns out that she's the one who has the vacation fling. Yeah, I what I liked about this is that, you know, she doesn't go down with that as a, a thought in her mind. Right, she goes down, all. you know, with the idea of that, you know, she is really lo- longing to learn languages. And and in that, you know, she ends up meeting people that are worth spending her time with because they share an interest with her, yeah. you know. And yeah. so I, I think that's the thing that, I really appreciate about it. This story is, you know, the guys are going down there and they only have one thing on their mind and she's kind of right. I think in some ways to like mm-hmm. be jabbing them in that and, and what she, you know, she ends up finding what they wanted, but that's because she's more interested in getting to know people than just some tawdry night with, with an alien. Right. And I, I think that's what makes her story so much more interesting is she gets what she wants and she also gets something she didn't expect, which I think is great. You know, the fact that she gets the opportunity to uh, explore Aryan cultures and alien languages. And at the same time, you know, she ends up having a real, uh, a couple day relationship with somebody um, that seems to be a, a good person, like some somebody that would, you know, if they weren't alien ships passing in the rise of night, you know, they, they might actually have a, an opportunity to, to spend more time together and have a life together type of thing. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's an interesting story. And I think, like you said, the fact that we allow Hoshi the opportunity to explore Ryza on her own terms is really fun. Yeah. I will say I'm not convinced that that guy didn't already know the word kiss in English. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know the word. Let me show you. Yeah, okay. I see what you did there. Uh, But yeah, no, it's a great story for Hoshi. And I also like the fact that her goal was to get away from technology She says, I'm relying on the universal translator too much. And I think that is a much, much more relevant point in this story today than it was 20 years ago when the story was written. Because, of course, back then we were using technology, but we didn't have smartphones yet. We didn't have all all the things that we have these days. We didn't have the Google Translate app in our pocket all the time. And first of all, as someone who deals with language every day, you know, I have to speak 
a, a language that's not my native language every day. It is easy to fall back on technology these days and say, ah, oh, yeah, I can't remember that word. Let me just look it up real quick and not commit it to memory because you know that you can always pull it back up again. And I like the message here of let's put this stuff aside and get back to what allowed us to build the technology that we have in the first place, which is centuries of humans really using their minds and challenging themselves and going hands-on and, and really learning something. And again, that's what, when I talk about how I love how enterprise portrays language, one thing I love about it is that they they show the building of the technology, but then they actually have the person who's creating it step away and say, yeah, we need to put the technology back in the box sometimes. Yeah, I think that was awesome um, because I, I do think, you know, Hoshi rightly discerns that, you know, the the type of skill that she has with language is one that must be cultivated and it mm-hmm. must continue to be used like any muscle or she will lose it. And so challenging herself in this way is is very important, actually. And and I do think that that's actually one of the things that we are learning, you know, as we have all been guinea pigs and, in, in, you know, Apple's big experiment with technology. You well, know, it's with not just Apple. And, it's every, well, yeah, you, all you the know tech what I companies, mean. Yeah. But um, what we are seeing is, is that it's not actually making us smarter. It's making no. us dumber. Yeah. Um, because yeah. we are losing our sense of memory because we're not committing any, every anything to memory. And our brains are, are literally having to play triage because mm-hmm. there's so much information being thrown at them and it's having to do all of this work of trying to categorize what's important, what's not important, right. and you know, and 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 therefore we're losing a lot of the ability that our brains used to have because mm-hmm. we would we weren't getting so much thrown and we were able to think more deeply. We were able yeah. to to process more slowly. And so th- speed is actually hurting things, yeah. as is just the technology that we rely on to do all these things that we our brains used to be able to do. So yeah. I just think it's it is fascinating that this episode, like you said, takes place before all of that, and yet it's actually commenting on something that is important now. Yeah, because Hoshi realizes that she needs to go through the process of learning, and these days, typically, if you need to know some information. You don't actually go out and really research and learn about it. You just pull up Wikipedia and you just check what someone else wrote and you say, oh, well, there's the information I need. And you didn't learn anything. You didn't go through any process. And it's quite possible that what's on Wikipedia is not accurate in the first place because it's just written by anyone who wants to contribute to the site. But at, at any point, I... Just I like this bit of commentary, and I think that it was very mm-hmm. forward-looking at how technology could impact us. And, and sharing that message in the setting of a story that's all about technology. They're, they're in a right. starship that can travel faster than the speed of light. They can talk to aliens that they just met after a couple of minutes of a device sampling their language. Yeah, 
I, I, I really like that aspect of the story. Now, as for Tripp and Malcolm, like you said, they're going down, not really looking to get to know anybody. They're just going down to see who in the bar they might be able to hook up with. And they easily get suckered by a couple of thieves. And I think it also showed the naivety of humans at this point, being out in the galaxy and not even considering mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, this isn't a bar in Las Vegas. This isn't Panama City Beach. You know, this is this is an alien planet. There are a lot of people here and mm-hmm. they are looking for you. What I think is really interesting here, too, is that, you know, by going down with this motive, what we kind of see is that they pay for it because they're easily taken advantage of yeah you know they're pinpointed as the the wet behind the ears aliens who don't know any better and and so you know and i think i love that juxtaposition between them and uh hoshi because you know hoshi gets what they want but that's because she's not in a place where someone is easily going to be able to take advantage of her. Mm-hmm. And um, she puts herself in a place where she's actually going to find something more meaningful because she's willing to actually get to know people. And so, I, you know, the whole thing, I think, is kind of a repudiation in some ways of that. You know, I hate to say it like the hookup type culture, you know, mm-hmm. like you're going to get played and you kind of deserve it if that's all you're looking for in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what I feel like the episode is saying. And and they kind of deserve it. You know, I don't feel sorry for the guys at all for what they happens to them. They made their bed and now they have to lie in the dirt in it. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah, I thought it was a fun little bit of the story. I think that the actors played the comedy well and yeah. it's a part of the story that i imagine a lot of fans remember and yet i think it's the smallest except for travis's rock climbing incident maybe it's the smallest part of the story and the least interesting part of the story for me right Right. I mean, they they are legitimately, other than flocks, they are really the comic relief in this episode. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right. Well, now let's talk about Archer's part, because here's where things get serious. The return of the Suliban and the Tandarans. And as I mentioned earlier, we get an unexpected continuation of the Temporal Cold War here, and we get a follow-up to Detained. So we've got that loose serialization continuity mm-hmm. running through enterprise that we've talked about before what what do you think first of all about the fact that until recently no one had heard of earth people didn't know what planet is that and suddenly archer is becoming very interesting to a lot of people i i really th- this this part of the episode was so fascinating to me because I loved that, and we've seen this before, right? We just saw somebody hunt down Archer because of yeah, his right. reputation. Yep. And so this really picks up on that f- previous episode and, and continues that theme of people kind of hunting him down and trying to press him for information. And I think here they really underestimate Archer, thinking that they're, he's easily going to be fooled. And part of that, you know, is the way in which he's pushed. And I think... It's too much of a push, really. 
you know, she begins to push way too hard on this this issue, and it, it just seems way too implausible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Archer puts the pieces together and realizes, no, this this is not what is being portrayed to me. And, you know, I really appreciated that this isn't a story where we're going to have Archer fall for a pretty girl and have something bad happen to him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's a, a competent captain. And I think that's what this this shows to me is that he he's not easily fooled. Mama didn't raise no fool. Uh, so <laughs> um, and I like that a lot. And two, what it does is it really sets the stage for what's going to come next, where the Suleban story is really going to hit the fan in a very interesting way. And then, of course, leave us on a cliffhanger for next season. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think this was a really wise way to do this story. It was really interesting. And in some ways, I just kind of feel sorry for Archer because he can't. It feels like he would have benefited from having the type of experience that uh, Hoshi did, you know, just right. having a wonderful, yeah, relaxing, yeah, yeah. be able to meet somebody, you know. But no, he does not get a lot of relaxation, unfortunately. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I I thought it was a great contrast with the Troop and Malcolm story that they are being played and they don't even realize it until the women mm-hmm. transform into the alien yep. men. Whereas Archer is picking up along the way, like, this conversation is getting stranger. Something's not right here. <laughs> and I think it, it shows his maturity as a captain. And, like, I think Tripp and Malcolm are both very capable officers. And I would trust them to keep me safe in a situation if I'm on that ship. But I think you see a real difference in where Archer is as a leader and where they are because he is, the gears are turning. He wants to relax. He's interested in this woman. But as she starts asking specific questions, then Mm -hmm. red flags are going up in his mind. And he does a great job of not signaling that to her and actually creating a situation where he's able to take that DNA sample that he can then have analyzed without ever tipping her off to the fact Mm -hmm. that he's suspicious of her. Now, I do wonder if he would have been as suspicious if the events of Desert Crossing had not happened. Because, of course, he can think back to what happened with Detained, But the fact that he had just been conned, essentially, into going to this planet to help out in a fight because someone had heard about his uh, his actions and detained with connection to the Suleban, I think that helped. He's like heightened. He's, He's on guard for these types of things yes. at this point, I think, which again is that nice little serialization without going over the top that we're getting in the story right now. Well, and I think, you know, you're mentioning just Archer himself and comparing him with Malcolm and, and Trip, And I think one of the things here is that, you know, 
and maybe this should be a motto for Riza, don't check your brain at the door, you know, and <laughs> yeah, and, right. and they do. They they yeah. they check their brains at the door. Yeah. Um and they're thinking with something completely different. And that's you know, what Archer the big sign not, in Las Vegas yeah. too, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. It, okay. Well, no, no, no. That's that's basically here. Check your brain here. Um, but anyway, I, I think the, the the beauty of that is the fact that you know I think Archer has just really learned, which is to always be on guard um, mm-hmm. before somebody proves themselves trustworthy at this mm-hmm. point. And yeah. so you know he's willing to meet new people, but you know there's something about him that's already learned that. People might have an angle and he doesn't know what that is and he needs to figure out what that is before he can kind of let his guard down, which I think is really very wise. And again, I think rightly pointed out in this episode. Well, compare that with the early episodes of the season where they would encounter an alien race in space and Archer would say, hi, we're from Earth. Mm -hmm. Here's a map. To show you exactly where our planet is. Here are the coordinates. And now, yeah, he's on guard. So he's learned a lot in a short time exploring deep space. Yeah. No, 100%. So, yeah. So as for the temporal Cold War element, though, I mean, are you... Is it becoming more interesting to you, the Sulaban, the temporal Cold War? Is this helping to like rope you in mm-hmm. for what they want to do with that story and where they're hoping to take mm-hmm. us? I, I think what it's done is that it's helped give it nuance so that, you know, when when this next thing is going to happen, I don't have the ability to just kind of jump on any side per se, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what's really interesting. And so I'm, I mean, you know, obviously excited the fact that we've, uh, we're going to get to the season finale next week. But I think they've built it up enough. They found a way to get you ready in some ways without necessarily even knowing. Like if you're watching this for the first time, you're probably picking up that some of this is, is happening a little bit more. But at the same time, you're just being primed, and I think that's just good writing uh, for the the series. And so, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely excited to get there. Well, last point before we go into final thoughts. This is actually the most important item on our outline. Did you know that Porthos and Rilo, the two dogs, already knew each other? Really? So the two actor dogs, Prada and Tibbus, they had worked together on a movie called Cats and Dogs where they were spy partners. So I don't <laughs> really know why they were having uh, such a hard time with each other in this episode. But I will say that that scene is one of my favorite scenes in Enterprise and Star Trek. I love the fact that on Star Trek, the show set in space, we have an extended scene of two dogs <laughs> panning back <laughs> and forth, off. dog to dog, growling at <laughs> yep. each other. It's hilarious. I love this scene. That's great. And the other note is this is actually Prada's last time appearing as Porthos because his stand-in, Breezy, took over the role full-time after this episode. So, oh. so thank you, Prada, oh, well. for all your wonderful work in excellent season work. one as yes. Porthos. Yes, excellent work. All right, Matthew, what are your final thoughts and what's your rating for two days and two nights? You know, I think this is, and I'm sure some fans could could 
probably have an issue with this episode because there is a part of it that feels very frivolous and everything. But um, I, I think this is it's one of those things that's like you have to, as you're writing a season, have some up and downs. And what's interesting is obviously this episode has a lot of intrigue. But then there's a lot of fun to it. And that's because that next episode is going to be heavy. Right. And so I think they did the right thing. And and I would give this, you know, it's not, not the best episode of the season, but it's it's a good three out of five. It's it's above average and it's an enjoyable rewatch, but it's not as though it's one of those episodes that, you know, you're going to watch and it's just going to stick with you for a really long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I probably the same. I enjoy the episode. I love Hoshi's part in this episode and overall the story is fun i like the fact that we're getting a bit of continuation here with the sulabine i think that they did a nice job of taking comedic elements and serious elements and frivolous bits and then bits that advance the story and just rolling it all up into one fun story that's very well produced visually and it's it's not one I go back to and watch very often, but I think that it's a nice little softer fun moment, as you say, before we jump <laughs> into the finale and the big events that are happening. So I'm going to give this one seven captains in rotation. Nice, nice. All right, everyone. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts on two days and two nights. There are many ways for you to share those. The best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That's our closed listeners group. If you're a member, you already know how it works. But if you're not, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field, and it should come right on up. If not, just type the whole name, the Babel Conference. It is a closed group, so if you're joining, please answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. We'll put a post for this episode there, and then you can share your thoughts with us and fellow listeners, and just have a great chat about two days and two nights. If you'd like to send us email, you can do that as well. Just go to our website, trek.fm slash contact, use the form there, choose to send to a show, and choose Warp 5, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And of course, you can find us on Twitter. Our username is trekfm. That's also our username on Instagram and everywhere else in social media. And we would love to hear what you think about the episode. Now, Matthew, when you're not learning those new conjugations, where can people find you? Well, when that's not happening, uh, you can find me all over social media, like uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, uh, all of those type of places. I'm under the name MattRushing02. Uh, and then, of course, here on the network, we've got an entire side of the network that's not devoted to Star Trek. It's devoted to all of the other fandoms we love, and that's called the 602 Club. Uh, and so you can check that out, of course. Uh, we've got some bonus shows that we do in there as well. That entire feed is just packed with goodness. Uh, and, of course, uh, doing literary treks. The Orb, and The Artificial Tango. So Literary Trek is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. The Orb, Chris, you and I get to talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then on The Artificial Tango, I'm so excited to be doing that with you. I don't know about <laughs> you, but, you know, getting to talk about Star Trek Picard Season 2, which, you know, we've had two episodes so far. We've really been liking it. So hopefully everybody will join us there for those conversations. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I did a finished show called Outpost Dre Kaufman talked about 
every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And then John Mills and I discuss Star Wars over on Aggressive Negotiations. But Chris, you know, when you're not just enjoying the nice feel of sand in your toes and the wind whipping in your hair, nice umbrella drink, where can people find you? That's what I could use right now. I was jealous when you said earlier <laughs> that you're taking some time off because I'm I'm right at the end almost of a magazine production cycle right now and I am in great need of some <laughs> R&R myself. But yeah, when I'm not doing that in my mind, you can find me as you mentioned on the network talking DS9 with you on the Orb, talking Picard on the Artificial Tango. By the way, that show used to be The Line, so if you're already subscribed to The Line, you'll be getting the Artificial Tango in that rebranded feed. But if you're not, uh, check it out, because we've had a great time talking about the second season of Picard, a really fun story so far. Then Larry Nemechek and I do the Ready Room from time to time. I've also got Interphase and a lot of other stuff going on. So check those out if you want to hear more of my thoughts on Star Trek. And I'd love to chat with you in social media. I'm most active on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere in social media, but Twitter is where I'm most active. If you'd like to help us keep this show and everything that we're doing on the network going, we could really use your help. If you'd like to find out how to become involved in the network, please visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm to find out how we really could use your support. It's been a rough couple of years with the pandemic and everything that's been going on. And it does take a great deal of money to get these shows out to you. So we thank everyone who's supporting us right now. We really would not be here without your help. And we hope that others listening who are not yet patrons will consider becoming patrons. So thank you very, very much for all your support. Well, Matthew, I'm going to get my helmet ready because we've got a shockwave coming next week. Chris, I don't know about that, but I guess let's go. Let's go.